First John chapter number four. All right, we were, of course, last month, we chose to go through teams and tech. This week, I mean this month, I thought, well, I was going to go through a different series. I was going to go honestly through a series called The Root of Bitterness and go through bitterness and what it does in our lives. But I believe the Lord would move us a different way. And so we're going to talk about true love. And when I say true love, the automatic, if I told you guys that I was going to tell you a love story, most of you would probably get sick, and that's hopefully that's what you would do. But maybe there's a couple of people in here that would be like, oh, ready to sit on the edge of your seat to hear the love story. Jamie's like, smile. <laughs> you are going to tell us one? <laughs> but if I was going to tell you a story, our definition of love is so vastly different from the definition of love found in the Word of God. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to let you know how we're going to do this. Today, we're going to look at Jesus loves me. Next week, we're going to look at, oh, how I love Jesus. And then the third week, we're going to look at how we love others. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about loving our enemies. So this is how we're going to go through this, this thing of love here. At this morning, I just want to spend just a little bit of time introducing us, jumping us into where we're going. And the next week, we're going to look at loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. What does it mean to love God with everything you have and then loving others? How am I supposed to love my neighbor as myself? And then how am I supposed to love enemies? Because that is totally opposite from everything we're taught in our society. So let's open up in prayer. I'm going to ask the Lord to help my voice through this, and then we're going to jump into it. Lord, we love you. God, and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house once again. God, I ask that you would please just be with our study here this morning. Lord, as we look into your word, Lord, I ask you to help your love to show through us. Lord, I ask you to help us as we look in your word that, Lord, we would be captivated once again about how much you love us, Lord, for, for whatever reason it is that you love us. God, give us a good Sunday. Lord, we thank you for raising Pastor Ferguson up from sickness and be with his service this morning. We'll get on word for everything that's done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, First John 4.10. I'm going to start reading a little bit before it, though. Actually, I'm going to start at verse number 8, 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Let me ask you this morning. For the definition of the word love. What would you say? No, don't give me the definition on the paper that I've already written out, Andrew. Oh, it's okay. I don't care if you look in the dictionary, but don't give me the one that's on the paper with a blank in it. Tell me, describe to me what love is, Landon. A deep compassion for someone? I like it. Jamie? Doing something? That's the same one your sister gave when we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit. She said almost the same thing. <clears throat> wait, wait. you got to put on your scholarly look when you read this. So go ahead. <laughs> A strong motion or whatever of affection. I just remember that part. So that is what love is for the dictionary. Somebody else add to me. What is love? Brandon, what is love? Tell us, doctor. The desire of one soul. Yes, love. Anybody else want to add to it, Adam? Um, 
Oh, I was about to say, I was like, wow, did you just come out on the spot? Wow. <laughs> I, you need, I need to hand you my book here. <laughs> good, good job, Adam. Yes. What is love? Let's go ahead and fill in a blank real quick. Love is a profoundly tender, passionate devotion for another person, or you can put another thing, person or thing. But a profoundly tender, passionate devotion for another person. Now, I will tell you, when you look at pretty much any definition, other than definitions that have been formed into our current culture, love has nothing to do with anything romantic. It doesn't. When you look at, when we think of love, if I told you, like I said earlier, I was going to tell you a love story, in your mind, you would automatically go to, oh, this is something about romance. This is, ew, (laughs) I I don't even want to hear it, Pastor Burden. Or maybe you would. There's books for you. But uh, <coughs> but when we look at love, there's nothing romantic in it. Now, me and my wife have been married for eight years. And so, well, thank you. When I, when I get to Brother um, uh, brother Bob's eight, uh, 60 years, then you can clap. But we're at eight. So as we've been married eight years, now, there were times in our marriage or even before we got married, let's go back to when we were dating, that I loved my wife, and I had in my mind love as being a romantic thing. I love my wife. That's why I'm going to, when I first bought her first present, so I told you some, some of the guys' the story, that I walked to the mall, that I watched, borrowed the dollar that I did not have to buy that watch, because I thought, I love this girl, so I'm going to do this. But you know what? After eight years of marriage, you know what I find out? Love isn't always romantic. Love is, I love my wife so that Mr. T starts screaming at 2.30 in the morning and I don't really feel like getting out of bed. See, my love for my wife makes me roll out of the covers, off my bed warmer, and walk upstairs to a kid that's screaming uncontrollably to try and make him a bottle while he's slapping me in the face (laughs) while I'm trying to make this so I can feed this kid and then feeding him and putting him back to sleep. You know what? That's love, but it's not the love that we think of. When we look at 1 John 4.10 today, I want us to look at what true love is just for a few minutes. And I thought, honestly, last night and for the past couple of days, I've been thinking, how do I paint this beautiful picture of God's love? Like, I was like, when I was reading the verse, I was like, hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Like, if I teach a lesson on just love, the love of God, how much God loves us, and this is what I actually thought in my mind. I was like, they may get bored with this. I need some kind of story to illustrate this. I need something to demonstrate so they can capture in their mind how much God loves us. But you know what? There isn't. There is no way for me to even comprehend. I was laying in bed thinking, like, what human story is there to tell that would tell me, I'm sorry, my voice squeaking, to tell how much God loves us. So let's look at God's love quickly this morning. It's found in this, two truths to understand about God's love. And when I tell you about God's love, I'm going to tell you that I believe the standard of all our love is God. So God's love is true love. Our love that we talk about on earth, oh, I love her. Oh, I love him. That love is not the standard. This is the standard. So, two truths to understand about God's love. Number one, 
The love of God is undeserved. The love of God is undeserved. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And I'll give you the quote. Not that we did any act of love at any time to God, but he did the act of love to us in sending Christ. Not that we did any act of love at any time to God, but he did the act of love to us in sending Christ. It's James Fawcett Brown. Just in case you ever looked it up, but I appreciate you asking because if you're looking for a commentary by them, that's where it came from. Romans 5, 6 through 8 is the passage there. Romans 5, 6 through 8. Now, when we look at the love of God, the love of God is undeserved. We go back to our definition of love, what we think love is. When I saw my wife, before we were married, I remember sitting at a table with my friends. And there was an event coming up, and he said, who would you like to take to this event? And I told him some girls that I thought, you know what, I'll take these things. But I, and I told him my wife's name, but I said, like, that wouldn't happen. That would never happen. I don't even have to worry about that. That's way out of, way, way out of where I'm at. See, when I first saw my wife, before we were married, I, I thought, man, she's nice. She looks good. And I had all these things in my mind of why I should love my wife. And our definition of love, that is what we talk about. Hey, I love I love my mom and dad. Shana comes to me when I do good things for her. Dad, I love you. I'll put a new game on her iPod. Dad, she'll lay her head. I love you. Why? Because she got something from me. Because, hey, Dad, you're a great guy. I, I look at one, just like I said, when I was dating my wife, I looked at her and I said, there's things that appeal to me. So I love her. But see, God's love, the illustration of the greatest love, there was nothing there. It wasn't because of who I am. It wasn't because of what I've made of. It's not because of anything. God loves me because he does. You think about it. Think back to Genesis chapter number one and two and three. God made man out of the dust of the ground, out of dirt. Now, that's not even a big deal because we know in heaven, there are no pavement. The streets are paved with gold. So this is an earthly thing, dirt. And God made a man out of it. He formed him with his own hands. And Bible says, breathing his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. From that, he took Adam. I mean, he took Adam and took his rib and made a woman. There is nothing in of ourselves that makes God want to love us. Why? Oh, because I am so good looking. That is why God would have to love me because I am so. But then you think about it. You're dirt. And in better case, maybe you say, I'm a girl, I'm not dirt. You came from a rib. So, I mean, there's not like there's a whole lot of attraction to me for who I am. But then we even go a little farther in Romans 5, 6 through 8, where it says that scarcely for a righteous man, some would die. There may be someone good enough that I would think, you know what, it is worth my life for to give my life for them. But see, in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God, 
Yeah, there may be somebody worth dying for. There may be someone worth giving your life for. But God showed his love. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not even that I think I'm someone. Oh, I deserve God's love because I'm so talented. Because of the service I give him. No, because ultimately I am a sinner. I knowingly, on purpose, do things that are against God. I don't deserve God's love. Like, wrap this around in your head. There are people right now in your life that if I say, who is the person that aggravates you? Most of you have a name, pops up. Bing. Oh, wait, erase that. We're in church. I don't, I'm not supposed to like, feel that way about people. But you have somebody in your mind that aggravates you. That just gets on your nerves. That does things that you do not like. And can you imagine loving that person unconditionally? Well, I do because this is my parents. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Can you imagine showing God's love to someone that you cannot stand? And then you translate to God. See, sin does not just aggravate God. It's not like sin is something that, like, oh, I wish you'd stop sinning because that just makes me sad. God is holy. Sin is against everything he is. But the dust that he made, he said, I love you. And I'm willing to do whatever. Even though I know, and if you had right now your friend, your best friend, do you wrong over and over and over and over and over again on purpose? After a while, they would lose that tag, best friend. Oh, they were my friend. I used to hang out with him. He used to be my boy. But not anymore. But see, God, his love is undeserved. There's not one thing I can do to earn it. There's not one thing in me that deserves it. It's just love. I mean, that's totally different than how we see love. Because just like I said, when we see love, we want to know, how will they help me? Well, what will this do for me? Oh, I want a girlfriend because she's good looking. She's nice. I want a boyfriend because this, or I want to, no, see, when you look at God's love, it's totally different than anything we know anything about because we don't deserve it at all. There's nothing even remotely good about us. Sorry to burst our self-esteem bubble, but, but there isn't. We're dirt that God formed and breathed in the nostrils, and we're here. We walk on earth, and he says, I love you goes beyond whatever we can think, what we can imagine. Let's go on. Number one, God's love is undeserved. Number two, the love of God is unbelievable. The love of God is unbelievable. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I did my best to try and find a definition we can wrap our minds around for the word propitiation. The word propitiation means this. An atonement, which is a reconciliation after enmity or controversy. 
And then I want you later on, for time's sake, to read through Romans 5, if you have the opportunity, because that is going to wrap it all together in your mind. It's an atonement, which is a reconciliation after enmity or controversy. So in other words, Jesus paid the price for our sins. So, propitiation, atonement. God's love for mankind demonstrates the selfless and sacrificial nature of true love. So don't pack up yet. I'm almost done. I'm not even going to hold you long. Lord willing, I'm going to try to be out even early. God's love for mankind demonstrates the selfless and sacrificial nature of love. So not only is God's love undeserved. I don't deserve it. There's nothing in me that even merits that God would love me. It goes even farther. He loves me so much, he was willing to give everything for me. Now, when we go through Calvary, we go through it a lot. And in this classroom, I hope I keep Calvary right in the center of your mind when I try to open the word of God. Because if you forget Calvary, you miss everything else. Jesus said in his word, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But sometimes it does, sometimes it does get old to us, doesn't it? The fact that we know that at Christmas time, Jesus came, was born of virgin. And we have that nice little manger scene in our mind. And we picture Jesus walking through his earthly life like they are in the movies and the videos. Jesus with lots of followers behind him, healing people. Oh, rise and walk. Get up, blind man, now you can see. And we have in our mind all these things that we've seen of the life of Jesus. And we see it so much that we do not even think about who Jesus really was and what his life was really like. Because if you look at Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, but yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But see, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. When we look at Jesus, we look at his life, not just him coming to earth. I mean, we look at him coming to earth, not just his death. We look at him coming to earth, and Jesus Christ went through his life because he loved us. We get in bed at night, like I told you earlier, that nice warm bed with the bed warmer. Make sure I don't get chilly under these covers. (laughs) <laughs> no, you guys don't have that. Sorry. You need to invest in one. <laughs> but we look at Jesus' life. Jesus, when they said, Jesus told people to come follow him. Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. Where Where are you going? Well, see, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We think about his death. Oh, well, that death was tragic. But Jesus' whole life was tragic. He was God, yet he became man, and not even a good man at that, not even a rich man. He became a poor, nothing man and lived for 33 and a half years trying to run away from people that would kill him. We were talking about this in our, I was telling this, are you kids? When Jesus got up to preach, no one said, oh man, we love the preaching of Jesus. I wish he'd come back and preach at our church. They said, hey, how can we kill this man? Get him out of the way. 
it was nothing like we like to picture the glamorous life of Jesus Christ. And then to be have for three and a half years trained Judas Iscariot to have taken him in, taught him everything he did for the rest of the disciples. Let him handle the money. Judas, why don't you handle this for us? And then to have Judas go and sell Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And then for Jesus to be in the garden after the Last Supper. And you look at, you listen to Jesus' last prayer. His prayer was this. Father, not my will, but thine be done. If there's another way, I'd sure like to take that way. Because see, Jesus was human. We oftentimes think that he was God. And he was. But he still felt pain just like we do. And just like I said in Isaiah 53, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Well, no one knows the hard time I'm going through. What? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. See, this is what true love is. See, God loved us undeservedly. There was nothing there that even made me remotely good in God's sight. It wasn't that I could dress up, I could act good enough, I could do anything for God to love me. God just loves me. Blows my mind. But then he would send his only begotten son to be the propitiation for my sins. You know how hard it would be if you were an Israelite kid to have raised a lamb and then kill that lamb because you sinned? I can imagine that would be hard. I don't know if it was like somebody's dog or cat or it was a pet, but all I know is I can imagine it would be hard as a child to march a lamb that you raised up and take him to the temple and watch the priest slit his throat and sacrifice him. Whoa, that, that's violent. I, that's what happened in the Old Testament. But can you imagine what it would be for God to give his only son for people that are undesirable? For no reason. If God had wanted, he could have wiped this whole earth off and started all over again. But instead... He said, I'll let my son be the atonement, the sacrifice for your sins. And so Jesus Christ did. He said, not my will, but thine be done, Father. This is the way you want me to go. I'm going to go. And he went to Calvary, and he stood in front of those same people that cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they say, crucify him, crucify him. And we know the story. I'm not going to go through there because I'm not trying to paint this emotional picture of the cross. I'm just trying to say it is real. And that Jesus Christ did it for people that don't deserve it. Because it was sacrificial, it was selfless. See, our love that we talk about, the love that society talks about, is so shallow compared to true love. And for me to think at any time, why is God doing this to me? Why in the world am I put in this situation? Why? Because, see, our love is so superficial. Our love is so... Well, if God's doing good for me, I love him. But God says, hey, even when they spit in my face, Father, forgive them. When the men are like nailing Jesus' hands to the cross, he's human. He feels that pain, the same pain that you would feel if somebody nailed you to a cross. He says, forgive them. See, that's love. 
my version of love is, hey, you do me wrong, we're out, man. We're not like that anymore. But God's version of love is, hey, there's nothing you've done to deserve this. There's nothing you can do to deserve this. You are nothing, but I love you anyway, and so much so that I'm willing to give everything I have for you. That's love. And there is no human story, no illustration that I could give you. I could not tell you, well, this is a story about some money, blah, 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 and some nice little story that comes back, illustration and comes back, and like, oh, that's so sweet because that's true love. You know what? There isn't. The reason I know Christ loves me is because just as simple as John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, that God loved a man like Adolf Hitler, that's love. That God would love someone like the Muslims over in the Middle East that kill Christians, that flew planes into the, the buildings at 9-11. God loves them. And see that God would love me. Aaron Bird, who intentionally, on purpose, thinks about, knows what he is doing, and then does what is against God. The same thing for you. That God would love you when you knowingly have sat down even this week and said, you know what? I know I ought not do this. I know I ought not think this way. I know I ought not whatever. And did it anyway? It didn't change his love for you. He still would have said, you know what? I'll send my son again because I love you. We look at true love this morning. We look at the fact, the awesome fact, that Jesus loves me. Next week, we're going to look at, oh, how I love Jesus. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So we're going to look at that next week. Let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you, God, that Lord, I, I don't deserve it. Lord, there's nothing I can do. Lord, there's nothing in me. But Lord, you love me anyway. Lord, I thank you that you love these teenagers. God, more than I could ever. Lord, I ask you to help that love to constrain us, as Paul said, to do what we ought to do for you. Lord, to serve you, to pursue you. God, be with our service this morning. Be with Pastor Ferguson as he preaches. And once again, we'll be quick to give the honor and glory for everything that you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.